women are not small men. So I think that a little bit with CrossFit workouts, we sort of think that, well, whatever men are doing, let's just make it a little bit less and a little bit smaller just to accommodate for that size. And I really think that we don't appreciate all of the other changes or differences within a female. Welcome to the 7220 Wadcast, where the content will always be constantly varied and at times highly intense, with as many guests as possible. Welcome to episode number two of the 7220 Wadcast. I'm Nicole Bleak and super excited to be here today with a coworker and friend who I really consider a kindred spirit. Gretchen and I often get into long conversations on many different health-related topics, so it's really no surprise that she's on our short list of guests and that it was also really tough to narrow down one topic to discuss today. But we are excited to discuss females and fitness. Before we do that, just a little bit more about Gretchen. Dr. Gretchen Claude is not only one of our beloved CrossFit 7220 coaches, but she has an extensive education and background in health and fitness. Gretchen earned a Bachelor of Science in both neuroscience and psychology before completing her doctorate in physical therapy. Other than her CrossFit Level 2, she has numerous certifications that include kettlebell, FMS, yoga, and really many others that I won't list today. Gretchen has been instrumental in developing and directing our Healthy Kids RX program with me here at CrossFit 7220. Most recently, Gretchen completed her Women's Health Coaching Certification with the Integrative Women's Health Institute. Gretchen also teaches classes for the Kinesiology Department at the University of Wyoming and works as a pelvic physical therapist at High Country Physical Therapy. Believe it or not, she is also in the process of writing her first book. She's a wife and mother of two kids, and anyone who knows Gretchen knows that she does indeed juggle a lot of things and seems to do them all very well. Welcome, Gretchen, and thanks so much for being here today. Absolutely. So before we dive into today's subject of females and fitness, I wondered if you'd briefly share a bit of your personal health history as I think it speaks to why your journey has brought you to where you are today and why women's health is such a passion for you. I think many who have met you in recent years see this strong, healthy, and amazingly fit woman and assume you've never really struggled with your health. So I think many would find your history both a bit shocking and also maybe help us realize that you are indeed human. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think many people um, necessarily see the journey that I've been on um, physically. Before I was a member of CrossFit 7220, shortly after the birth of our son James, I got pretty sick. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which resulted in pretty rapid weight loss, um, some paralysis of some facial muscles, um, shoulder muscles, and then also some pretty chronic pain to go along with that. And um, after some extensive testing and um, a, a round of pretty intense uh, immunoglobulins, which, which is just a fancy word for saying um, immune systems of other people, um, I was on the road to recovery and was pretty disappointed when I physically um, wasn't feeling very well after the treatment subsided. So it was about another year to year and a half long journey of physically recovering. 
Um, but beyond the physical recovery, there was definitely a mental and emotional component with that as well. And a big piece of it was really learning how to listen to my body more um, rather than just keep pushing through. So that certainly was um, more of an evolutionary process rather than a revolutionary process. Wow, you certainly went through a lot. And isn't it true that one of the many misdiagnoses you had led to the unnecessary removal of your gallbladder? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, that was one of the many diagnoses. Um, my husband and I sort of joke that it was a lucky number 13 physician that finally was able to come up with an appropriate diagnosis. But along the way, my gallbladder, um, it was suggested that my gallbladder was not functioning well, so that was removed. Um, turns out my gallbladder was totally well functioning, and um, it was just one of the many diagnoses that occurred um, that was probably incorrect. And I really think that the whole experience of going through the illness was pretty impactful because it really taught me to listen to people a lot more and a lot better and to start trusting the individual or the patient or the client, whoever's in front of me, rather than just giving my, my advice on what's going in. And, and still to this day, that really, really rings true when I see um, clients or patients. Well, we're certainly glad your medical team figured out what was going on before they removed any more of your insides. And we're glad that you recovered so well. I know it was not too soon after that when you started CrossFit and saw a lot of growth there. When we look at CrossFit workouts that involve any sort of equipment, there's always suggested scaled options for women based on anatomical differences and relative strength. Females, of course, on average are shorter than males, which explains lower box heights and lower wall ball targets. They also exhibit around 40% less upper body strength and 30% less lower body strength, which explains why we're prescribed lighter weights in comparison to men who are performing the same workout. It also helps explain why push-ups and pull-ups and muscle-ups are so much harder for us girls. But once we account for those differences, is there any other reason that females should train differently? Absolutely, and I really like that you use those scaled options. Um, and this is a great segue into talking about this. So I, I and many others essentially believe that there are two reasons why we should be training females differently. And the first is you sort of got to is biology. And I'm gonna go a bit more in depth in that in just a moment. And the other one is rhythm, which I'll probably spend even more time speaking about. So just what you discussed, um, that women have smaller statures, our mass is distributed differently without our, within our body, our absolute strength is different than males. Interestingly, a researcher whose name is Stacy Sims has coined the term, women are not small men. So I think that a little bit with CrossFit workouts, we sort of think that, well, whatever men are doing, let's just make it a little bit less and a little bit smaller just to accommodate for that size. And I really think that we don't appreciate all of the other changes or differences within a female. For example, and I guess this is a bit more historic, is in a lot of current research, mostly males are going to be the subjects. Um, for several different reasons. But first of all, it's a lot easier to control a lot of the biology and physiology of males. And so oftentimes what happens is th that research actually gets transferred to women and they will just say, well, let's just make it a little smaller dose or just a little bit less, not really accounting for all the different biology, like you said, and the physiology and, and the hormones. And that's a big topic that we'll, I'm sure we'll get to in just a moment. So it really leaves out that crucial piece that um, it's not just the biologic, but there's the physiologic and hormonal differences as well. 
So biology is one reason. Um, and then rhythm is going to be another. So most of us are really familiar with something called the circadian rhythm, which is our 24-hour clock. This is what helps us with our sleep-wake cycles, tells us um, when we're feeling tired, tells us when we feel like we should wake up, even to a certain extent when we should eat. A less known rhythm in the body, specifically to the female body, is called the infradian rhythm. And so this is a cyclical nature of about a 28-day cycle and 28-ish. We're just saying that on average. We can go off and talk about that a whole different way. But essentially, we're just looking at the monthly cycle of a female. So when we think about exercise, oftentimes as females, we don't think about our infradian rhythm and how there is drastic changes within our hormonal profiles. And for many who don't know, hormones are ubiquitous throughout the body, meaning they go everywhere. So lots of times we just think about these reproductive hormones of estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, and really just think about those reproductive organs, the ovaries, the uterus, but because they're a hormone, they actually go all throughout the body. They're part of our bloodstream. So there's going to be an impact on tissues all throughout their body, including the muscular system, the neuromuscular system. Just as a little bit of a comparison, um, for those of you listening who are 7220 members, just envision if you're a 5 a.m.er and all of a sudden I said, guess what? You can only work out at 5 p.m. and you have to make that quick switch. I would imagine that your performance might have a little bit of difference. So all we're saying with that infradian rhythm is maybe we need to listen to those physiologic cues of, diff of females just a little bit differently rather than just thinking of like day in and day out, I should do the same thing. Um, we have these natural cycles within our bodies. Wow, a lot of really interesting stuff there. You know, the fact that researchers avoid utilizing women for research because they are such poorly controlled subjects should already clue us in that female bodies really are inherently quite variable compared to men. So this infradium rhythm, which is a term I've never heard before, so I'm already learning a lot, the comparison you used really does make sense. We've all worked out at a different time of day and know how weird it feels sometimes. So you're saying that the same concept applies to this longer 20 plus day rhythm, meaning that what we did in the gym last Monday may not necessarily be best suited for our bodies next Monday? To some, this really may seem pretty crazy, but I think most females can notice that there are some cyclical changes um, in the way we act, the way we feel, um, you know, our skin even, if we get bloated. There are just so many different variations that we already maybe notice as women. So why are we not taking those same sort of principles and applying it to the way that we train as well? So does this infradium rhythm just apply to women who are in their childbearing years? That's a really great question, and I certainly don't want to be totally inclusive here, but when we talk about an infradian rhythm, um, there is an assumption that is to um, females with female genitalia and female reproductive hormones um, that are being produced, and typically there is not exogenous hormones. What that means is a woman or the female is not um, on birth control, so this could be an IUD, a patch, a shot, a pill um, because when we have those exogenous hormones it's going to disrupt the typical infradian rhythm so this doesn't mean that you can't perhaps have some sort of cycle but just know that there's going to be some variations within it um, I would even like to extend this to males if you'd like to perhaps think about more of an infradian rhythm rather than a circadian rhythm with your um, 
with your training, think about the lunar cycle. Lunar cycle is about 28 days. You can certainly follow that in terms of making some modifications to your training just based on that. But when we're talking specifically about how to optimize your performance, um, this is pretty, it's a little bit more exclusive to women who are um, of uh, menstruating age and are menstruating without exogenous hormones. Does this infradium rhythm apply to women going through perimenopause or menopause? Perimenopausal women, absolutely. Um, even though there might be some, um, your typical 28-ish day cycle might be off, this is a great opportunity to really be in tune with it even more so when those typical cycles start to um, kind of peter out. For menopausal women, um, what we can assume is you end up back on the typical circadian rhythm. You only function on one rhythm of your body, so you can do one of two things. You could train the same way every day, day in and day out in terms of intensity, or you can follow something like a lunar cycle, or as an alternative, if there's another female in your house that has a typical menstrual cycle, you certainly can sync yourself to her cycle as well. That makes sense, and that's really good advice. Before we move on, I wanted to briefly discuss one more thing. So it makes sense that any type of birth control method that alters our cycle is going to affect this infradium rhythm. In the list, you mentioned IUDs, which for those of you who may not know, it stands for intrauterine device. This is a device that's implanted in the uterus that stops ovulation. Many healthcare professionals argue that an IUD only delivers hormones locally to the uterus and has no systemic effect on the body. So does the IUD really change our rhythm enough to make a difference? So although with an IUD, and it depends on the type of IUD, whether it's a copper IUD, which is non-hormonal, or um, something like the Mirena, which has progestin that is secreting into the uterus, um, there is a little bit more local effect of it. But what that's going to do is it's actually going to um, trigger a cascade um, to be stunted a little bit in terms of the feedback loop. And we can certainly kind of go down a big rabbit hole with this, but when um, that progestin is being delivered, it's going to kind of tell the signal back to the brain in the hypothalamus, in the pituitary gland, that it no longer needs to be secreting the hormones to induce ovulation. So even though there is a pretty local effect, it's still changing the feedback loop within the cycle that typically happens. So I can definitely see where healthcare providers, um, and, and they're absolutely true that there is a more local effect um, with an IUD. We're still changing the dynamic feedback loops of the rest of the body, which is related to the infradian rhythm. So the copper IUD is non-hormonal and does not prevent ovulation, but it can still cause changes in our menstrual cycle, as can many other things that aren't even related to birth control, like a thyroid condition. So is it safe to say that anything at all that alters our typical menstrual cycle is going to create variations in our infradium rhythm? Absolutely. So even if it's just a copper IUD that is not secreting hormones, um, there's going to be changes. There's going to be systemic changes. And like you said, you know, even something like a thyroid condition, absolutely, that's still going to, that may trigger things down the line that may disrupt the normal infradian rhythm. And I'll go as far, and you and I can talk about this for a very long time, <laughs> but nutrition as well. It starts at the 
level of insulin. And when we have insulin dysregulation, that actually can be another way that we can trigger some um, irregular irregularities within the infradian rhythm. And I'm sure we're going to talk about overtraining, and that's another, another place that we can talk about that as well. And before we leave the birth control discussion, I think it's important to note that neither of us are necessarily saying that there is never an appropriate time for a woman to be on the pill or have an IUD. There may be times when there are circumstances in your life or things going on with your body and it's very appropriate and helpful to utilize those options. But I think we as women and even some healthcare providers need to quit ignoring the fact that when we use any birth control method that stops or interrupts the very cycle that makes us who we are, regardless of the method or the hormone dosage or delivery, there are going to be changes that go beyond our ovaries not releasing an egg. I couldn't agree more 100% Nicole and that is um, I I think you and I both agree that it is a woman's choice um, to to determine her fertility and and how how that she's going to help manage that. And I'm just we're just simply kind of discussing you know some the, the ways in which the fertility um, barrier methods that are used, whether it's uh, through birth control or through fertility awareness and understanding the infradian rhythm, it has an impact on the body. Um, but certainly each woman has an individual circumstance that we need to look at. Um, and our goal for both of us here is just to empower women just to know um, what these options are. So you mentioned that a lot of the, the exercise research is geared toward men. Is there specific research that is being done or has been done that discusses all of these hormonal changes? Yeah, there's some for sure, it, but, but it, it is a bit limited because when you look at the research in exercise physiology, um, they either will do most of the research on males or in females when they do it, they will they attempt to control the cycle by giving them hormonal birth control so that they can um, manage that, that part of the cycle, which that certainly is going to help with some results. But I'm not sure um, if we're able to definitively say all we need to know about a, a woman's cycle. Um, so there are a few pieces of research out there and all I'm going to refer things to is a low hormone phase and a high hormone phase. Um, we can definitely get into the minutiae of what happens in each one of these, but the low, homo low hormone phase refers to the first day of a woman's menstruation through about the day of ovulation. And the high hormone phase is that second half of the phase from about ovulation to the start of menstruation. Low hormones, we're talking specifically about estrogen and progesterone here, and same thing, high hormones, higher progesterone, higher estrogen. So there are a couple pieces of exor exercise physiology research in that low hormone phase, in that first half for menstruation ovulation, we might have better access to carbohydrate metabolism. We might have improved HIIT performance, so the high intensity interval training, um, we do know that there is a lower core body temperature in that first half of the cycle, so perhaps we may have um, a bit better tolerance to heat, and that meaning that we are able to tolerate higher intensities of, of exercise without more perceived work being done. There's also some improved creatine kinase and interleukin-6, which are both inflammatory markers. Those have been shown to secrete more in the first half or the low hormone phase, which may just mean that a female is able to better recover with higher intensity activities in the first half of her cycle. 
in contrast, we can see the things as opposite in the second half is we have an increased core body temperature. And that's because of a rise in progesterone, which increases the core body temperature. So we may have more difficulty um, with longer term exercise or high intensity exercise because we have less wiggle room for that heat tolerance, so to say. So the time to fatigue with that is less. There is some mixed research on cyclical changes related to force production. Uh, I, I've tried to comb through the research quite a bit here and it's mixed. I've read some research studies um, that specify that there is more muscle force production in the first half or low hormone part of the phase um, where I've read other research, and this research was specific to the pelvic floor, that there's actually um, better force production of the pelvic floor in the second half of the phase. So you can see it's been mixed. And um, these were all very small um, groups that were studied, less than 100, so I don't think that we can make global recommendations just based on that. But I think that just provides some insight is maybe we don't have all the information um, needed from a population standpoint to make general recommendations. And this is where I really get into understanding each woman as an individual, of knowing that part of your cycle and how do you feel and how these hormones might be related to that as well. Well, I think all of this is really quite fascinating. I think it's so helpful to hear and understand the scientific reasons for the changes we all go through. But let's say we want to dumb it down a bit and talk in terms of a practical application without having to keep track of body temperature, whether our hormones are high or low, and what our creatine kinase levels are. What are some general recommendations for exercise in regards to our cycle? Are there specific things that you think might be more or less beneficial fitness-wise at certain times during the month? So again, this is your or the little CYA for the day is definitely listen to your own individual body. But as a general recommendation, what I would say to a woman is the number one thing to do is to start to track your cycle. Um, and there are a thousand apps out there that can help you with this. And when I say track your cycle, this isn't just how long you're bleeding for. Um, that's a part of it for sure. But just to start noticing some different things within your body regarding your cycle. Is it regular? Is it irregular? If I were to make any recommendations, what I would say is the first half of your cycle from about day one or two of menstruation through about halfway through your cycle. And for a lot of women, that's the midpoint would be somewhere between 13 to 15 days. This is where I would hit it hard in terms of the high intensity training. I would really encourage you, this is when you can have high participation in CrossFit activities and maybe expect to have some higher PRs. You could then look at the second half of your cycle and this doesn't mean that you need to sit at home eating bonbons doing nothing. It just means let's just maybe have some perspective in how we're training. Perhaps um, if it's, for example, some sort of AMRAP, you're going to put in more rest time for yourself intentionally, knowing that your body may not recover quite as well. Other alternatives would be you need to support your body a bit more. So if you do choose to do more higher intensity activities, make sure that you're putting in the yoga, make sure you're doing the mindfulness, make sure that your nutrition's really on, po on point to help support the system that way. The way I've been doing it personally for the past couple months is I've been doing that. I've been hitting it really hard the first two weeks of my cycle. The second two weeks of my cycle, I'm taking it easier. Maybe I'm doing um, more metabolic training that's lower intensity. 
um, doing more EMOM style, and I'm also incorporating more yoga and Pilates type activities in the second half of my cycle. So speaking of bonbons, I know many can relate to times of the month where I am definitely hungrier and there's food cravings for certain things. For a lot of people it is chocolate. I'm also definitely more tired and I have to have a couple nights where I go to bed earlier so I can get a longer night's sleep and compared to other times during the month. If I'm feeling more tired, is this a cue for my body that I shouldn't work out at all? What a great observation, personal observation, Nicole. And I think that resonates with a lot of women. And those of you who can't see this, I had a giant smile on my face when she said, um, I'm hungrier. Because there is some research that actually shows in the low hormone phase in the first half of your cycle, you actually may um, burn less calories. Whereas the second half of your cycle, you may be burning up to 200 more calories a day with just your basal metabolic rate. So that's just wow. the resting me metabolism. So you're feeling hungrier because you're probably burning more calories at rest. And this coincides with the increased body temperature with progesterone. So yes, listen to your body, support it more with sleeping. When we think about the foundation of wellness, sleep will almost always be on the bottom. So like you're saying, when you're noticing that you're fatigued in that way, um, and this is as a general recommendation, everyone, don't beat yourself up. There's probably something more than just like, oh, I'm tired. It's, well, let me think in perspective. Where am I at my cycle? How can I support it more? And I think you are a great example of, I'm gonna sleep more, just be more uh, mindful of my eating perhaps, um, and maybe not diving into the potato chips and chocolate craving, but just know that you, your body may need to be supported more. I've recently heard uh, that the reason we crave chocolate is because it contains magnesium and during that part of our cycle our magnesium levels might be a bit lower have you heard that and it and would you suggest supplementing or supplementing more magnesium during that time also you can't see me smiling in my coat pocket i have magnesium lotion that i'm going to give to nicole so yes magnesium um, is one of a few key nutrients um, that may be needed to supplement or support the body um, prior to menstruation. And I believe that this has to do with, um, in the second half of our cycle, the high hormone phase, we have both high levels of progesterone and estrogen. And we want that ratio to be fairly narrow. We want those, those concentrations to be kind of narrow. When estrogen seems to be higher and a greater ratio than progesterone that may lead to some symptoms that are premenstrual type symptoms um, and may cause more fatigue, it may cause cramping, it may cause some moodiness, and it's thought that magnesium um, can be one way to support the body. And just as a side note, there's about seven or eight different ways um, that magnesium is compounded, so that may matter a little bit too, mm. um, whether it's orally, transdermally, um, so there's a lot of different ways, but you're spot on. Chocolate is high in magnesium, and so that may be one of the reasons why we're craving it, just letting our body know that. And just a quick side note on magnesium, if there are men listening or the women can tell the men in their life that magnesium is not just a female specific mineral and there are many women and men who are actually magnesium deficient. A lot of that is due to modern agriculture which has depleted our soil of a lot of beneficial minerals. And then a lot of foods are also magnesium deficient just due to over processing. 
So getting sufficient magnesium just from our diet can actually be really difficult. And it is an important mineral that if it's too low, it can cause things like high blood pressure, migraines, insomnia, depression, chronic fatigue. So supplementing magnesium can really be helpful to a lot of people in order to avoid some of those things. And it can even help with things like constipation. But like Gretchen said, do the research, find out if you need it, how much you need, and what form and what delivery method is best suited for you. So switching gears again and getting back to training in our cycle, can variations in our cycle provide us feedback and help us determine whether we are overtraining or whether our recovery from exercise is adequate? If we have a good sense of what a typical or normal cycle looks for the individual, so one woman individually, um, we can start looking at that because that, that shouldn't shift too much throughout our reproductive years. That should be regular, that we're bleeding um, anywhere from three to six days. Our cycles are anywhere between, um, you'll hear varying research on this, but anywhere between 24 to 35 days in length. So when we're getting great deviations, it's just a signal that something's off in the body. And one of those signals, um, and, and this could come from stressors in lots of different parts of our life. This could be emotional stress, social stress, nutritional stress. But we're just looking, could exercise be a stressor that's throwing us off that infradian rhythm? And just the, your quick physiology here, most of us are familiar with the hormone called cortisol. It's called the stress hormone. It's a lovely hormone and it typically does its job really well. But exercise in itself is a stressor, which is going to induce some cortisol release, which is just fine. But when we have too much of that occurring, it's going to go back to that feedback loop and it's going to inhibit things coming from the brain in the hypothalamus, in the pituitary, so it stops set, sending those reproductive signals for the reproductive hormones to the reproductive organs. And this is really a bit evolutionary. And a comparison lots of times I'll make is um, think back in woolly mammoth times. If you are running from the woolly mammoth and your body is under stress intensely, now's not the time to have a baby. So this is a, a bit of an adaptation that if our body is under stress, it's saying it may not be able to sustain pregnancy or it may not just be the best timing. So when, when we're in those fight or flight moments, our body actually shuts down other processes like reproduction, digestion, in order to survive. So this is all kind of making sense. You said the second half of that, that cycle is a high hormone phase, and you also suggested that during that phase, we maybe back off a little bit on the super high intensity, correct? Yes. And that makes sense because the super high intensity increases those cortisol levels, and when we're already in a high hormone phase, this is a little bit, could be a little bit overload. So that makes sense. And again, as you said, the, the high cortisol and exercise stressing our body is usually a good thing and that's a healthy thing, but it can kind of cross the line of being too much. Absolutely, and um, if, if you are of menstruating age, um, you should have a menstrual cycle. It's not a good sign to lose your menstrual cycle when you're typically having it. The um, older term used, used was the female athlete triad. Um, they now call it REDS or Relative Energy Deficiency Syndrome. And this is when we have stressed our body 
to a period of time where there's chronic losses in the menstrual cycle. And you know, many people will say, well, okay, great, I'm, I can't get pregnant, that's, that's all that matters. But really it goes a lot deeper um, than this is we, we're looking at heart health. Um, when we are in that state of REDS and losing our menstrual cycle, um, this will negatively impact heart health, um, long-term bone health as well. So it, it goes well beyond just our reproduction. This is really overall wellness that we're, we're keyed into here. So my cycle is a bit shorter than the average female, but this has always been kind of typical for me. So are you suggesting that what I should be concerned about is if I see major deviations from what is normal for me? In other words, if my cycle all of a sudden becomes a lot longer or a lot shorter, then I should probably look into what might be causing those changes. Right, and I think that's a good point to bring up is that we're really looking at what is unique for you and within that variation. And just from what you said, yeah, you're a bit on the shorter end of things and maybe there are some ways that we can optimize your cycle a bit more. Um, but if you're seeing these variations um, in terms of how long you're bleeding for, um, how long your cycle is, and you know, part of the work I do outside of CrossFit 7220 is helping to women identify, are you ovulating? Because that's really the highlight of a woman's cycle. And just by looking um, at the individual, um, it, that's what's most important, rather than say, oh, my cycle's not 28 days. Less than 20% of the population has a consistent 28-day cycle, so we're looking for at what's normal for you. Even though we haven't had time to dive deep into all of them, you've at least mentioned a lot of the important components of wellness, such as exercise, sleep, mindfulness, recovery, nutrition. Another aspect of health that we are hearing more and more about these days is the gut microbiome. And it really has a long list of conditions that researchers say it can contribute to if our gut is out of whack. So is our cycle or this infradium rhythm included in this list of systems that the gut can potentially affect? I, that's a, such a great question and it is a hot topic and I, I have a sense that we're going to continue to learn much more about digestive health um, in, in the coming years. But just related to the reproductive cycle and the hormones, um, if our gut health is not optimal, um, we're not able to excrete the hormones, especially the reproductive hormones, out of our body. So if there is some sort of maladaption of the gut microbiome, if we aren't uh, maybe fueling our body with prebiotic type foods, um, we may be holding on to hormones that are just sort of circulating throughout our body rather than excreting them. So this could just be another avenue to look into. And honestly, when I work with patients and clients, one of the first things I ask them is about their digestive health, understanding that if we're just holding on to that garbage inside our body, that's another way that we can throw off that cyclical nature of our rhythm. And I think this is a good time to talk about what you're currently doing as a women's health coach and how, how can people get in touch with you to maybe see if this might be a, a service that could benefit them? Great, and as you said, I, I am both a pelvic floor physical therapist, so those of you who are local here in Laramie, I'd be happy to see you at the clinic and we could even um, go even more in depth um, with sort of a physical exam. But as a women's health coach, these are the exact things that I'm trying to help 
for you to optimize. My job here is to try and shine a flashlight into the areas of your life that maybe you haven't been looking towards. And so um, we could work together. And right now I'm just doing this all um, via telehealth with the Women's Health Coaching where we set a time up to chat about um, your overall wellness. And certainly um, your reproductive cycle will be a part of that conversation um, along with digestive health and how that might be relating to other avenues of your health and wellness that are being impacted by that. Uh, the best way to contact me you can go to my website at drgretchenclaude.com and my contact info is in there. You could also just email me directly at gretchen at drgretchenclaude.com and I'm sure uh, Nicole will put that in the show notes. Um, but if you have my text number, send me a text. If you have another email, send it to me that way. I'm happy to give as much information as possible, but if you'd like for me to work individually with you regarding your cycle and how to train more optimally, I'd be happy to do that. As a pelvic floor physical therapist, um, I, I see a pretty big range of impairments and limitations within a female's life. Some of it is just related to um, prenatal care with aches and pains that are going through as a female's body change um, and then transitioning into postpartum care. But a lot of it is centered around the pelvic floor. So women who are experiencing um, urinary or fecal incontinence or leakage, um, as well as painful intercourse, anything that's related to that area of the pelvis um, those are things that I address specifically. And I know that's kind of a scary thing when I start talking about poop and pee and sex and all that stuff, um, but it's actually quite empowering for women to have a better insight into how that part of their body really impacts their overall wellness. And I certainly take a head-to-toe look at the pelvis. Um, people were, are probably surprised that I actually spend quite a bit less time than you would anticipate working directly on the pelvic floor, but just looking how all the parts and pieces work together specific to females. Well, I think it's really reassuring to know we have such a great local resource for issues that can be very complicated, but also very personal. It's really important to have someone we can trust to evaluate us as individuals and to also look at the big picture because, as we've been discussing, all aspects of our health really are woven together. And if we just focus on one symptom or one system in the body, we are likely missing other health and lifestyle factors that are contributing to this overall picture of health and wellness. We mentioned at the beginning that you're working on a book. We would love to hear what it's about and when it might be released. The second question is a great one. <laughs> I'm not sure when it will be released yet. Um, I have uh, most of the writing done, but it is a body literacy book for um, tweens and young girls. And I sometimes I feel a little sad that I wasn't fully in touch and in tune with my um, female body. Um, to this extent until much later in my life. And the book um, was prompted by my sweet daughter Sloan since she is now 10 years old. And it's just a way to explain the female body from a very anatomic way and to go in a little bit deeper about how our body um, can be optimized a bit more. And having that self-awareness and understanding of the body can really set someone up for a lifetime of success, especially in wellness and health. Yeah, and regardless of what stage in life we may be in, gaining self-awareness and an understanding of the body in order to optimize its function is really the central theme of what we've discussed today. 
I think we as women often get caught up in comparisons where we may try to mimic what other seemingly perfect women are doing. I'm going to eat exactly what she eats and do every workout she does. When, as you talked about, we need to remember that although women do have similarities, we also have a lot of differences, different genetics, different health histories, and different goals for that matter. So it's not unlikely for us to react very differently to certain exercises than our friends or that woman we might follow on Instagram is doing. You've shared some really interesting and valuable information that I think can really help us begin to become more familiar with our own bodies so we can live our life in the best health possible. I for one can't wait to pay more attention to my infradian rhythm now that I know what that means and also experiment a bit with my training at different times during my cycle. We can all agree that exercise is usually a good thing, it's super important for physical and mental health, but that even within the CrossFit gym we can modify workout parameters and the relative intensity at which we perform them to suit what is happening within our own bodies a little bit more than maybe we currently do. There may be times when we can really hit it hard in the gym and our bodies will thrive and then there may be other times when we need to take an extra rest day or even eat more calories. It's really not easy for women to keep everything in balance, so it's great to know that if and when things do get a bit out of whack, we have people like you to provide insight and guidance when we may not know even where to begin. So Gretchen, thank you so much for taking time to visit today. Thanks so much, Nicole, for having me on. This has been really fun, and I'm certain that you and I will be talking more about this on our own, and I really look forward to uh, more dialogue between you and I and also the members of our community.